This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Think about Lois. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott dodged the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 106 of Press Pass. I'm Kayla Anderson, alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. I'll start with this because we had been doing the AP poll, the AP Top 25, Joshua, every single week at the top of the show. Then last week they came out with the first college football playoff poll. And then we realized when we taped this podcast, because of we're both busy people, that it's a really inconvenient time now when the college football playoff rankings come out. So we're not really going to do the rankings because then it wouldn't make sense to do the AP ones. Cause those are the only ones that are out by now, but yeah, yeah, you know, you know I think it's okay. I mean, but I did want to ask you about the first college football playoff rankings and what you thought. Yeah. I mean, it was about what we expected. I think with the top four, the interesting note being that they put Clemson ahead of Ohio state, which I think was the signal um, that they valued the amount of games that Clemson played, even with the loss more so than they did Ohio State being undefeated and, and you know, kind of not having all the, the data points and showing some weaknesses in the past defense and not being able to close out games and everything else. So thought that was really interesting. I'll be curious to see, and this is coming out on a Wednesday. So, you know, the, the new poll will be out by the time this yeah. is out, but would love to see what happens in the top 10 you know, with a team like Cincinnati, um, you know, Florida, Texas A&M holding strong where they are. Sure. Northwestern, which was a team that I felt like I had a ton of confidence in, mm-hmm. crapped the bed. So, you know, we'll see what happens with them. And then Indiana, too, they got to do something with them. They're still undefeated, but the, or not undefeated. They still only have the one loss to Ohio State, but the quarterback issue, Michael Penix Jr. getting hurt, uh, torn yeah. ATL on Saturday. It's definitely going to hurt them. So do they, you know, kind of, position some teams to pass Indiana maybe jockey for a spot you know on the cusp of the top 10 just based off of that injury who knows uh, yeah. but be very curious to see yeah it, it will be interesting and I think one of the main topics that's already being talked about is what's going to happen with Ohio State 
if that they miss another game or they're not able to play another game because obviously their game last weekend against Illinois was uh, canceled because of COVID-19 issues. Um, They were going to get on the plane that morning. They called it off. We know that Ryan Day was also diagnosed with COVID-19. They have already now had two games canceled on their schedule because of the one earlier with the cases in Maryland. So now everyone's talking about, okay, what if they don't even play for a Big Ten championship, Joshua? Would they still be considered to play in the college football playoff? And I think a lot of people are torn on this. Yeah, I think the number of games that most of us are comfortable with is six games. Um, just when you're comparing nationally, you know, it's it's not a ton of games, but you feel like it's enough games that you would kind of have that sample size and, and you would understand uh, what Ohio State is. I think that the most difficult thing right now, though, is Ohio State should. So let me backtrack and say this. I, I think Ohio State really flubbed their big opportunity against Indiana. They were playing a top 10 team. Mm-hmm. They had them down like 35 to seven, let Indiana come back in that game, gave up 500 yards um, on on defense to Indiana's passing game and, and really cemented themselves as a statistical worst secondary in the Big Ten Conference, worst passing defense in the Big Ten Conference. And so you follow that up with a game with Illinois, which got canceled and Illinois is a bad team. And then you would play Michigan State, which is a bad team. And then you would play Michigan, which is a bad team. And so you want to have the data points of playing those games because you want to show that you maybe have improved in some of the questionable areas of the past defense, Justin Fields sure. through three interceptions. And you, you haven't won the second half of three out of four of your games against Penn State. They beat you in the second half. Rutgers beat you in the second half. Indiana beat you in the second half. But when you look at the competition they were actually playing, all those teams suck. So Indiana sure. was really the statement and they missed out on it. So You would want to get a couple of those extra data points. Like I said, if you could play one more regular season game. So hopefully this one doesn't get canceled coming up this weekend. But if it does, you'd want to play Michigan. And then that champions weekend, you would hope that doesn't get canceled as a whole, right? Because the big 10 is supposed to do a one versus one, two versus two, so on and so forth. But the way COVID cases are going right now, you don't even know if they can pull that off. It might just be the championship game and everybody else sits at home and that would You know, if Ohio State's not able to play in this next game and Michigan is having COVID issues where they haven't been the facility the last two days, if they miss that game, either one of the two, they wouldn't be eligible to play in the Big Ten Championship. Really, really nauseating, confusing, weird situation. But, you know, I I think Ohio State in a year like this, and I'll, I'll get off my soapbox with it. In a year like this, you know, fans, Ohio State fans, it's not fair. Big Ten should change the rule. No, they shouldn't. It's what everybody agreed to. Um, You know, they were talking about when Maryland had to cancel the game and they didn't hit the COVID thresholds. They were like, oh, well, that shouldn't be uh, a no contest. That should be a forfeit. And Ohio State canceled their game. They didn't hit the threshold. So should that be a forfeit too, right? So we can go through back and forth on all these nuanced little dumb things. Or we could say if Ohio State looked like a dominant, you know, top two team in America against Indiana, who was a top 10 team, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. But they didn't. And so now we're, we're worried about all these data points and should they play in a conference championship and this, that, and the third. So the message here is when you control what you can control as a team, mm-hmm. you put yourself in that position regardless of the amount of games you play. Now you need the extra data points because you didn't handle business 
and it's getting a little bit dicey. Yeah. And I just think the timing of everything just didn't favor, you know, these conferences like the Big Ten and Pac-12 because they started up in the midst of this pandemic starting up again, too. Yes, In terms of, you know, numbers going up. Uh, We saw Thanksgiving just this past weekend. I'm sure the numbers are going to go up even more with traveling. So it's really... It is what it is, and it stinks for these players, but just the fact that they started so late, they had to know that this was going to play into all of it, and it has. That's the deal, is this was a predictable outcome. I said it a hundred times. Yeah, We could have absolutely predicted something like this would happen. That's why, back to the, the first point I made, like it's so important that you can you if you are in control of a game, you stay in control because there are so many variables you cannot control. And mm-hmm. like, I, you know, we can say it was predictable. All this was going to happen. You just couldn't control when you couldn't control how it was going to spread through your team, whatever the case was. You're so right. Not having that that extra space and that leeway of starting in September definitely put the Big Ten behind the eight ball. But we all could have figured that there would be a situation like this. And it doesn't matter the team, you know, like Alabama, the only thing that was going to beat Bama was COVID. The only thing that was going to beat, yep. as we saw for Clemson, the only thing that was going to beat them sure. was COVID. Their quarterback was out, you know, the same thing with Ohio Two State. Games, the only thing yeah. beating them is COVID. So, you know, that's that's 2020, though. That's playing yep. football in, in a pandemic in 2020. It's what you got to deal with. Well, when it comes to the criteria for this college football playoff in 2020 coming up, uh, three things, you know, you look at the eye test, obviously, head-to-head record, if applicable, conference championship, if applicable as well. And I, I want your honest opinion on this. If Ohio State truly, for some reason, couldn't play in, in a Big Ten championship because another game was canceled because of COVID, whether it be them or another team, do you still think they're one of the top four teams in the country right now? Or do you think there's other teams who have really shown uh, in the past few weeks that they might have a better opportunity of taking a spot? I'm going to play devil's advocate on this. And, and this is mm-hmm. me saying this as a Buckeye. And it pisses a lot of Buckeye fans off. But <laughs> if I'm looking at this as I evaluate all of college football from a national landscape and I'm, I'm taking my Big Ten cap off, I'm taking my Ohio State cap off, Yeah, I would point to – a again a pass defense that is last in the Big Ten conference and so that means you're worse than Rutgers uh means you're worse than you know Illinois and Nebraska and Penn State who only has one win and all these teams that are just not good out of the Big Ten this year you are worst Michigan who's been torched by everybody you're the worst and so I would point to that and say that um Notre Dame has thrown the ball well as of late Clemson's Mm -hmm. always been able to throw the ball and Alabama is, I mean, they're lighting it up too. Right. So in in Florida has thrown the ball. Well, like I'm just, again, so I would take that. And then I would take this, and this is probably even more alarming than the past defense issue is you have not been able to close out games in dominant fashion. You have not put your foot on people's throat when you need to. And I think this year, more than any other year, you needed to show that dominance that the first thing you have on there, the eye test, right? That's the thing that I think Ohio state's lacking where you're leading Penn state, you know, by 23 points or whatever the hell it was at halftime. And the margin narrows you're, you're leading Rutgers, you know, 35 to three at Mm -hmm. halftime and the margin narrows. You're leading Indiana 35 to seven. And they outscore you 
so dramatically in the second half that it becomes a one possession game and they have a chance because they have the ball last to score, to tie it up. That doesn't necessarily feel Mm -hmm. like a national championship team to me. Now Mm -hmm. I think the talent exists. I think the coaching's great. The product that I've seen, I can't sit there and stump and say that this team definitely 100% without a shadow of a doubt deserves to be in there. What is the word they use? Unequivocally, one of the top four teams. I can't say that definitively. I think it's close between the the other teams that are in the top four. I think it's also close between Florida. I don't like Texas yeah. A&M as much, but people no, can throw them in that conversation. Like yeah. I, I, This year, it's really hard for me to say that it's Ohio State is clearly better than some of these other teams that are jockeying for that last spot. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Joshua. And and I appreciate your honesty with you being a former Buckeye. I think sometimes it's hard. Um, When you know so much about this team, too, you know the talent, but you also know the weaknesses this season. And because there hasn't been enough time to develop, you know, better habits in, in the secondary. And like you were saying, some of the weak points, they haven't had the opportunity to fix that necessarily either. Nope. And that's why so, you like those, those extra data points, you know, yeah. going back to earlier, do you, you know, you, you want, like I said, probably six games. So you could at least see them in two more games, improve on the things that we're asking questions about, but you're absolutely right. Well, we're going to keep it with Ohio state theme because these two next uh, guys that we're going to talk about, they once were together at Ohio State when I was covering the team and you were there. So Texas is um, no surprise if you've listened to this podcast, you'd probably know by now that we've not been a fan of Tom Herman at Mm. Texas. And we don't feel like that program has gotten better by any means. And so now there is so much talk about Tom Herman on the hot seat. And it really it really doesn't matter that we're in a pandemic year for some of these programs. I feel like, because we're already seeing coaches being fired. Um, At first we thought it could be something that would save these guys jobs for at least another year. I just think that nothing's changed. I think, you know, they're still going to fire coaches if they want to fire them. So Tom Herman is already being, you know, talked about as, you know, maybe being on the way out at Texas and guess who is sliding on in? Guess who is the hot coach there that could possibly become the head coach if Tom Herman is fired? Mr. Urban Meyer. Of course. Of course. And I, I even, uh, Travis, my husband, said that he read something about how Shelly was already looking at real estate in Austin. Did <laughs> you hear that? No. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That's a thing. So yeah. give me your thoughts. I mean, Tom Herman clearly a guy we don't think is up for that job in terms of getting it done at Texas. He's not proved to do that. That's why that is why he's on the hot seat. But, but what about Urban Meyer? Okay. He's, he's been out of, of coaching now for over a year. He's been doing his thing on the Fox uh, broadcast for, you know, game days on Saturday. Is he ready to come back to coaching? Do you feel like he just needed some time off again? Do you think this is a serious thing? I, I just, I'll put it like this. Why wouldn't Urban be their number one choice? Like, why wouldn't sure. he be the name that's swirling around there? I mean, you you understand this. Like, he's he's been successful everywhere he's coached. Bowling Green, yeah. Utah, Florida, Ohio State. Everywhere he's gone, he's produced great players. They've won a ton of games. Um, so, of course. And, and Urban's a guy who is a – he's a chase guy. He's a build guy. Like, he'll take – 
your program sure. that, you know, you need to, to really get the pieces together and you need to really build the culture and the program back to a certain level. And he can do that for you. So it, it makes total sense that he would be the name. Like if Notre Dame was coming open, he would be the name USC. Mm-hmm. He'll be a name. If that job's open, you know, if Michigan opens up, like why wouldn't he be a name for that? Mm-hmm. But that would be so weird by the way. <laughs> it would be, it'd be very strange. I, I just don't know if, if he's ready to dive into the job. Um, I think he loves what he's doing right now. And yeah. I've, it's not, I think I've spoken to him and he, he's absolutely into what he's doing right sure. now. I think that he likes the lifestyle and the, mm-hmm. you know, just being able to vacation and get down to his house in Florida whenever he wants to and spend time with his grandchildren and his children, you know, his son, Nate's getting ready to graduate from college uh, here in, you know, next year or two or whatever. And Nate wants to become a coach so he can help his son do that and everything else. But then you think about Texas and Florida was, you know, it's, it's a job that gets attention, but it's not crazy. Ohio state definitely had more attention a little mm-hmm. bit more of a political game, bigger city, the whole deal. But when you go down to Texas, you're dealing with boosters on a different level. Yep. You know, the 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 Board of Regents is probably on a different level there. You know, like there's so much pressure and again, another big city and everything. And I don't know if he would want to have to answer to that many people and try to create alignment mm-hmm. through so many different channels. Who knows? Yeah. It'd be weird, but I, I feel like that job comes with a lot of baggage to deal with. Sure, it does. I mean, everything, when it when you think about Texas, the immediate thought is, oh, that'd be a great job. Oh, Austin's a cool city. Oh, you know, it's Texas. But because it's been behind the eight ball for so many years now, and all the stuff that comes along with it with the pressure, because the pressure's still there, whether or not we hear about Texas in the national media or not, the pressure is there. And so it it definitely wouldn't be just something where he could go in and, you know, feel like he could take control of everything. There's going to be, like you mentioned, the boosters and those people above him who are going to want to have control over something. So if they do hire Urban, they'd they'd have to be okay with that. They'd have to make that part of it. I also always remember something Shelly told me, which is really funny. One time when she came in for wall-to-wall sports, we had asked her, like, if Urban was ever go anywhere else, like you know, would you let him take a head coaching job? And she said, as long as it's not somewhere cold. Hmm. So I guess that passes the test, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I bet you, I bet you Urban, Urban will leave her ass down in Florida if he took that Notre Dame job. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you just stayed out there. Yeah. He'd be like, all right, so this is what we're going to do. All right. Here's the game right? plan. <laughs> right? so you come, you come visit on game days. And I'll fly you back out after the game. You can spend hey, time I'd down there. I'd be fine with that. I'm Shoot. like, cool. Give me my space. See ya. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Well, football is back in full swing and you might not be at the game this year, you guys, but you could still be in on all the action on bet online. Bet online is going that extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else you can get in on their season opening bonuses today start off wagering on wins division and championship futures all day every day head to bet online today take advantage of the great sign up bonuses they have and then don't forget to use the promo code bluewire at betonline.ag that is bluewire all one word bet online your online sportsbook experts my goodness joshua it was a busy weekend 
for me this past weekend in Nashville. Yeah. And while we don't talk about Vanderbilt at all on this podcast, except for it's mentioned here or there, I thought I've got to take some time to talk about a couple things that happened over the past few days and get your thoughts on it, your honest thoughts. Yep. So Sarah Fuller, who just won an SEC championship with Vanderbilt women's soccer. Yes. Not this Sunday, but the Sunday before. She um, was called upon right after she won that championship, literally the day after. And they said, we need someone to come try out to see if that you could take over kicking duties because we've got guys out with COVID. Right. So she supposedly won the job for that game. And it was a, it was a very cool thing. Um, She became the first woman to actually play in a power five football game. So that was all extremely cool. And she is a really cool girl. Very smart. Um, She even gave like, she went in there and like rallied everyone at halftime. I saw I mean, that who, story. I mean, it's incredible. She was right. And, she was like, the reason we won our conference championship is because we had energy and we'd be cheering even if we were down or things weren't going well. She's like, I walk in that locker room and it's dead. And she's like yeah. on the sideline, nobody's cheering. Like we get yeah. a first down, nobody's excited. We make a tackle, nobody's excited. I'm like, damn, this girl really knows what it's about. I'm not, I shouldn't call her a girl either. She's a grown woman. That woman she, knows what, what it's about. Look, and this is this is a an athlete too, Joshua. She's like six foot, six two. Yeah, she's a. She's, I mean, yeah. she's an athlete. Okay, yes. and she's a goaltender, by the way. I didn't mention that, so you can see like the height is a very big thing when you're playing SEC soccer to have that height. But yeah, I mean, she's she's definitely from a very athletic family. She went out there. They had designed the squib kick for her specifically. Yep. So if anybody was thinking that was whack. No, it was specifically designed for her. All right. Unfortunately, so let's let's yeah. let's let's yes. pause on that real quick. Yep. Is if a male kicker goes yeah. out there for the second half and does a squib mm-hmm. kick, we would think that it was an intentionally designed squib. Nobody sure. would doubt that he messed the kick up. But yeah. since it's a woman going out yeah. there, you know, the 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 Twitter assholes gotta be like, oh, yeah. oh, she she can't really kick. First off, she plays soccer. I'm sure she can kick a ball. Second yeah. off, a squib kick, probably great design because those are really hard to field. The ball is yeah. rolling around there. The guy, you know, who doesn't usually catch the ball is trying to figure out, do I dive on it? Do I pick it up? Do sure. I let it go? Like, anyway, I'm not going to get into it. I am. No, but you're, it, but, but, but you're right. I'm glad you mentioned that about like, we wouldn't question it if it was a male. We'd have, we would have said, oh yeah, that was designed for him. And this was clearly something that they wanted her to do. And I thought she executed it well. Yes, she did. The way, And she, she said after she wishes she could have been out there for an extra point or a field goal. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Vanderbilt stinks Yeah, and they weren't points. able to score any points. So, <laughs> but you can't knock her for that, you know? No. So, okay. So this is the whole controversy that's going down, especially here in the South. Yeah. So right, a lot right. of people, there's yeah. there's there's one prominent Nashville yeah. media national guy, but he's based out of Nashville. Oh, yeah. He's a just a, a freaking asshole and a damn fool who who had some really inflammatory tweets on the topic. And I just I, I couldn't stand to look at him, but I'm gonna let you go. Well, and I'm sure that this is going to be part of what that person was alluding to. Yes. But it was. so many people 
were saying, okay, Vanderbilt was looking for attention. This was a way for Vanderbilt to get its name out there because Vanderbilt has clearly had so many issues. I mean, they're, they're having a, a season of just, I mean, it's awful. And clearly now they have fired Derek Mason, mm-hmm. which happened two days after all of this. So you start to wonder, like, you know, is any of this true? Do you think Vanderbilt was looking for attention to put this woman out here to give her a chance? And I'm not saying it's all because of that. But there are so many people who have kind of jumped on this side. And it it, it makes me mad. But at the same time, yeah. I'm like, do you feel like it's true? Because Vanderbilt has been known to do sh- kind of some crazy things. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say it's a hard no on the publicity stunt, the looking for mm-hmm. attention. So it, you can't have open tryouts because of mm-hmm. COVID. So True. that eliminates that ability. She was already in the testing protocols because she's a, a Vanderbilt varsity athlete. So, yeah. you know, she passes that test. And, and then, you know, like the guy I was talking about, Clay Travis, was like, well, I bet you there's guys who kicked in high school that could have filled in. And my response to that is yes, but probably not mm-hmm. because, you know, like high school kickers suck. I mean, there are guys yeah. who get paid to kick in the league for a living that suck. So mm-hmm. bringing in somebody who kicks a ball and that that pays part of their tuition or their whole tuition, I don't know what her scholarship situation is like. I, I feel like that's as good of a plan as any. And, and I don't understand what the payoff would be to pull a stunt like that. And I, I think it's really I think it's demeaning and it steals from the moment. And this is the issue that I have. And whether it's women or other minority groups is we look for for ways to discredit first and we look for ways to discredit milestones. So like, you know, Sarah Fuller gets in this game and she kicks the ball and becomes the first woman to play in an FBS football game, power five, right? Not FBS, but power five. And so we're, we're, oh, it's a stunt and it's this, that, and the third. And like, bring it back to this Barack Obama gets elected president. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the first black president, but people say, well, he's got a white mother. He's only half sure. black. Well, what a you are, you yeah. know, like I, why is that important? Why are we trying to discredit the moment? And so I'm just, I'm disappointed that, that people would do that. Talk to my friend, uh, Nicole Auerbach, who is mm-hmm. a national college football reporter. And she said, she spoke to Vanderbilt special teams coach and yeah. asked about the situation and why it happened. And he said, uh, we tried out some guys on our team and they literally sucked. Like she was our our best and yeah. literal only option at the point. And so again, it's it's whether people are saying she didn't kick it good enough or whether people are saying it was a publicity stunt. All they're trying to do is discredit a trailblazer, a person who's a first in their realm. And I, I it's it's little people that do stuff like that. And yeah. I just like it's it's been throughout the course of history. But if you're not perfect. And this is a saying, my dad used to say it to me. Um, my mom used to say it to me growing up, but they say, you gotta be, you gotta basically be twice as good to get half the respect when you're a minority yeah. or when you're a woman operating in a space where you don't typically belong. And I think that's exactly what it was for her. It's like the kick had to be perfect and it had to be executed the way all of the Monday morning quarterback Twitter dummies were going to want to see it. And if it was, then it was still going to be a publicity stunt and well, you know, coach got fired and it was a team that sucked and all this, that, and the third, and just can't let the moment be the moment. 
I, yeah, great point on that. And that's good information that you shared too, in terms of Nicole Auerbach and what she had shared with you, because yeah, it, it, it clearly was a topic down here. And then because Mason was fired, you know, they're all like, well, did he maybe not want, did he maybe go against them and say he didn't want her to kick again and they want her to kick again? Because I don't know if you saw, but she is on the depth chart as being the kicker this week. Yeah. I think so, she was the only kicker listed too. So yeah. You know, yeah. again, it's it's a situation where they need her to be mm-hmm. available. Now, in terms of Derek Mason, this will open up another conversation. I know this wasn't really on the sheet. First off, it. you know, rough job. Vanderbilt is a uh, yeah. hard place to win. But he beat Tennessee three times. True. So, you know, pat on the back there. And um, he's a very, he very good coach. Too. He took. Yeah, he did. He, he didn't win either one of them, did he? No, he didn't. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a difficult job. But I'll say this is um, we've seen mediocre white head coaches get recycled into jobs. Like they get fired from a head coaching Mm -hmm. job and they pick up another head coaching job right away. And I'm curious to see what the, the, the Derek Mason plan is after this firing Um, because he spent, you know, I think seven years, six seasons there. Like you said, two bowl games, didn't win either one of them, beat their rival three times out of six tries. Like, you got to wonder, is he going to have to take a little bit of the long road and and become a coordinator for a little while before he gets another shot at being a head coach? And it's, you know, it's a double strike for him as number one, he's black. And number two, he's a defensive guy. So, you know, I know, right. Being a defensive head coach already Dang. sucks, but it, well, Especially I mean, nowadays. yeah, it's high flying offense everywhere. But I'm really curious to see what that looks like, because now and again, this wasn't on the sheet, but. There was a tweet by Dan Wolken who said that the search committees who are looking at current vacancies and in, in, in potential vacancies in college football are saying that the talent pool for minority coaches is extremely small. And mm-hmm. my response to that is um, we need to address how we're filling coaching pipelines. Like I'm tired of seeing coaches, kids and, and you know, their, their oh, kids, I friends yeah. becoming GAs that's sure. where the pipelines start but also you know we we see where a running backs coach will be a running backs coach for 25 years and never have a shot at being a coordinator and that's where they pull from but one of the SEC vacancies might be filled by a guy who's a tight ends coach and he's only in charge of five guys yeah I don't think that well he's of course Shane Beamer so he's a football family kind of guy but I don't necessarily know if a black coach would get a shot from being just a tight end coach, not being a coordinator and only being in charge of five guys on game day. It'd be very curious to see. But yeah, I mean, I, I know we didn't, obviously it's the third time saying it, we didn't have this on the sheet, but I feel like this is, it's an important conversation to have. I feel like it definitely fits the topic, you know, of of kind of the, the social aspect of the game too. Well, I could see this and I don't know if it would, I almost feel it might fit better what what he might do i mean he's from arizona okay he's from phoenix arizona he was born there right we all know he 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 started like coaching over there he came from stanford yes he did i kind of feel like d mace is a stanford kind of like california west coast type of personality anyway he might be look i dealt with him and he's great dude real cool dude he's he's pretty laid back um doesn't really, fit. I, I don't know if he fit the SEC. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I and, know exactly what you're saying. 
And and sometimes there, I mean, the SEC, like we we all know, it, it's a lot, and it takes a it takes a lot out of you, I'm sure, too, as a coach, uh, because you're surrounded by that all the time. And not saying that he was at a program that you know was crazy, like Vanderbilt's more of a you know different situation than some of these other schools. But I almost feel like he could be successful as a head coach in another place. I agree with you. Don't you and- think? I mean, so maybe you go be a defensive coordinator for one year in the Pac-12 or yeah. you know, whatever. And then you take over as, as an opening, you know, pops up at, at UCLA or Cal or something like that. I guess that's what I'm wondering is, you know, and it's not necessarily, we see coaches that'll get fired and then pick up a head coaching job at a small school or whatever. But a lot of coaches go back to being a coordinator. I'm just wondering if he, if his next head coaching opportunity is going to be, more of a group of five situation or if he would get mm-hmm. another head coaching opportunity sure. at a power five school after, you know, getting fired from Vanderbilt, you know, I, and this is the other thing I'll say is I think ADs like having a name. So he's got that going for him. Yes. But I also think that ADs are lazy in the fact that they would, they would rather go with certain guys who are more familiar in their retreads and you know that they're probably not going to work and they would rather die with that guy than maybe take a little bit of a risk on another guy. And and so I'm, I'm curious to see how this all unfolds for him, but you're right. I think he probably needs to go a place where he's probably more comfortable recruiting yeah. where his personality fits, where, where a lot of his coaching connections too exist exactly. and he's more familiar. And yep. then the next opportunity after that, we'll see what it is. I'm hoping he can get back into the power five head coaching ranks soon, but you never know. And I think you also have to consider if you are an AD looking for your new head coach or the next head coach at your program, you have to consider where Derek Mason was, um, everything that he had going against him at Vanderbilt. And we're talking about the lack of facilities, the lack of yeah. being able to um, I mean, the academic you know, build alone. a stadium. Right. There's a yeah. lot that's against them at Vanderbilt. So you yeah. do have to kind of consider that because Vanderbilt is always kind of like the bottom feeder of the SEC. And I, I mean, I've, I'll say like, I think James, James Franklin obviously did a good job there. I mean, I don't, I don't think Mason did a terrible job. You know, it's no. like, like you said, it's hard to win there. There's everything going against you. It's just be curious, but I'll, I'll leave this topic on this pat on the back to Vandy going back to back blackhead coaches. And um, mm-hmm. I think their, their athletic director is a woman. Yep. Yep. So they, Candace they, Lee story. Yeah. Yep. So they understand the diversity aspect there probably better than some of the other schools do. Yep. But yeah, I mean, it's like I said, defensive head coach already is going to be a strike against him. So that's, you know, part of the curiosity too, is who wants to go defense when they make a hire, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking out for what his next moves are going to be. Hey, as long as you can bring in an innovative offensive mind, like Nick Saban did Yep. with Lane Kiffin and now he's got Sark. Yeah, and leave do the offense alone. Do don't it, don't right? mess with the offense. Let the guys Absolutely. do what they're best at. Absolutely. Yep. That's what those assistants are for. Those what, what those coordinators are for. All right. Well, 2020 has already reshaped the way we work. It's almost over, hopefully. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. And indeed, 
is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed will help you find those quality candidates quickly so that you can focus on the person that will keep your business going. And unlike other sites, guys, Indeed gives you that full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time. And best of all, there are no long-term contracts. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Okay, this is the best offer available anywhere too. So go right now to indeed.com slash bluewire. This offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. We will end on a note, get to know your coach. And you brought up his name earlier. Well, you brought up the program. But we're going to be talking about head coach of Northwestern, Pat Fitzgerald. And he's been there for a hot second now. It's sometimes I think people forget about what he's done there. And for the most part, it's been pretty positive, Joshua. Yeah, I'll say this. Out of all the coaches in the Big Ten Conference, I have as much respect for him as I do for like a Ryan Day, for example, or, Mm -hmm. you know, a James Franklin, who's had a lot of success in the the conference. Northwestern is another one of those places. They got the academic overlays a little bit harder to recruit. But, you know, they got the big city money running through there, so they do definitely have the facilities. Pat Fitzgerald is a perfect guy to run that program. He's a guy who played there, had a ton of success, um, you know, came back. Just a a, a a lunch pail kind of, you know, uh, a blue collar mentality guy. And I don't I'm just I'm, I'm impressed with the job that he does year in and year out because the teams are typically competitive and, and Northwestern is yeah. not a brand. It's not an easy place to get into. No. But the guys play hard. I remember going there in 2013. They gave us a little bit of a scare. Yeah, so here here we're going to get to know him a little bit better, just so when his name pops up, you can say, like, oh, I didn't know that about him. So I thought this was really crazy. So at the age of three, I guess he leaped headfirst on, like, off of a slide, which we all know as kids we do stupid stuff. Mm. But he, like, fractured his skull legitimately. And one doctor was recommending that they drill, like, bowling ball holes in his skull to relieve the pressure because that's how bad sure. it was. And he, the Fitzgeralds were like, no, we're not doing that. So he had to wear a hockey helmet for two years on his head to make sure that all of that pressure was relieved and that everything got back to normal. Could you imagine wearing a helmet for two years growing up as a kid? You're three years old. You remember like when you were that age, right? Or watching so your nieces or nephews. He would have been born in what, like maybe the late 70s? Something yeah. Like yeah. So mm-hmm. he, he definitely got made fun of for wearing a hockey helmet. For sure. Like it's, it's taboo to, to make fun of kids like that in, in 2020. But back in his day, like that was, I mean, it was open season on kids like that. So yeah, he was probably getting all the jokes the drag on at the, at the park, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he did play uh, football in college and he was a linebacker for the Northwestern Wildcats Great in the mid nineties. Yeah, great player. Um, you probably know a little bit more about that, but he played on that team that went ten and one and went to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, no, I mean it's um, obviously being at BTN, we broadcast out of Chicago, and there are a lot of Northwestern alums there, and and that's what they talk about, and that's why. Uh, besides the the job that he's done with the program, that's why Pat Fitzgerald is so loved. It's because of the success sure. that he had as a player there, and and I mean. You know, the Dagon linebacker award for the conference is is in part named after Pat Fitzgerald, you know, Crazy. like he, he's he was that good of a player. And he's I mean, you know, it wasn't like I was 
I was born in the mid nineties, so I never watched him play, but like right. I've watched the highlights. I've seen the clips and I mean, the dude was ridiculous. He was awesome. Yeah. that I mean, everything that I read about it, it just was like high praises for him. And it also, it's kind of like a storybook like life because he was born in Illinois. Right. Yeah. So he's just kind of stayed there his whole life. He's a huge, huge Chicago sports fan. So, you know, Chicago sports, it's like everything you want they have. So he's a big Blackhawks fan, a big Cubs fan. I think he even did the seventh inning stretch one time at a Cubbies game. So he's very, I mean, he's a big name in that city, in that yeah, state, which usually college football coaches. I mean, unless you're in Alabama or a, or a place that doesn't have pro sports, you're not really like your name's not that, you know, big. No, you're, but it's. It, you know he's an alum of of their school, and it's a it's a it's a big enough alumni base there in Chicago that it would it would be recognizable. You know, like the stadium's not full, but people definitely follow Northwestern. Yeah, that's it's really interesting to know. And again, that is a school where I mean you got to have some smarts to go there. Believe yeah, me, it's, it's some I mean, brainiacs I know that went there. Right? There's a lot of people, Joshua, who go there. Actually, they've got a great journalism school. I know. So they'll go there and get like they'll like get their BA somewhere and they'll go get their master's there or something. So yeah, it's no, pretty I mean, legit. We got a, we got a couple at BTN and, Oh, um, do you? Yeah. And then, uh, isn't Greeny a Northwestern guy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He is. Yeah. He absolutely he's really is. Good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, I mean, props to, if I, if I had the money to be able to do that, I would have probably gone there to get further. So like, I, uh, right. I had a, a scholarship offer from Northwestern and, did um, you really, yeah, it was, I mean, it was in consideration. I didn't didn't feel like I I would I would have had my athletic goals um, sure. of, of winning a conference championship yeah. and being able to compete at the highest levels met. Um, yeah. I told you, I like I, I had Stanford in strong consideration. Yeah, because which at I, the time I totally Stanford was Stanford. Yes, and I'd probably be out there selling Silicon Valley real estate right now. Right, <laughs> it'd be a little bit of a different world, but well, you know. <laughs> Just mind my business. <laughs> <laughs> Another fun thing. There's some fun tidbits that I found out here. I, I did not know this. This is my neck of the woods. So I actually covered the University of Idaho for um, the year that I was back in Spokane. But he, his first full-time coaching job, he wasn't the head coach, but his full-time job for the first time ever was at University of Idaho. Never knew In that. Moscow, Idaho. Yeah. Talk about a place where you're just going there to get in and get out. So you've been to Idaho then? Well, yeah. No. I mean, okay. I grew up in Spokane, which Idaho is literally the border. Oh, and, I did not know that. Yeah. And the University of Idaho is 30 minutes south of Washington State. I My gotcha. mom went to the University of Idaho. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, I, I, you kind of, it's incorporated in all the sports in Spokane. So when I covered sports in Spokane, Gotcha. I would go down there a lot to cover football games and basketball games and such. Never but it's been just to Idaho. Like, yeah, there's actually some beautiful places in Idaho. I'd imagine. I think it's a, a bad rap sometime for the things that have happened there in the past uh, in mm. parts of Idaho, but there's some really great parts of Idaho as well. Um, and beautiful. My goodness, the lakes there, just second to none. So the other thing that I thought was funny is he – wakes up at like 5 a.m. There's all these things that these coaches do that's like, yeah, they're so routine. So he wakes up at 5 a.m., takes a quick shower, and listens to music on his way to the office, which I feel like a lot of us do that. Um, but his tastes 
range from Old Dominion, Bob Marley, Kane Brown to Darius Rucker. It's like all over the board right here. Good for him, though. Right? I mean, he's got Bob Marley in there. Yeah. I got to give him props for that. And finally, my question to you, he loves key lime pie. Like, that's his go-to. So my question is, do you like key lime pie? Because I feel like people either like it or they don't. Love. You do? Yes. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. I'm on the key lime pie, too. Because growing up, my dad really loved it. So I just always, like, would try it and like it. I feel like if you've got any type of southern roots mm-hmm. then you've had a good key lime pie yeah because if it's not good i can understand why you wouldn't like it but i mean if you've got the the great filling in the the crust has to be on point the crust yep has to be on point it has to but yeah i'm a fan sweet well there you got to know a little bit more about pat fitzgerald and i got some fun ones in there too sometimes i i can't i i do my research and i can't find a lot of fun things but he had so much stuff there was like a ton of other stuff that I could have even talked about that I didn't even get to. So he's yeah, a really interesting like guy. He is. He He's one of the more fun coaches as well when he's available to the media. Because he answers questions like a regular guy. Like yep. he does a coach speak thing a little bit and everybody does. But like he'll give you some good material. Like he is the, I'm not going to say the anti-Harbaugh, but like Jim Harbaugh doesn't give you anything. Scott Frost never gives you anything good. You know, like Tom Allen will give you a nice sound bite. Sure. Pat Fitzgerald gives you a great one. Like he'll tell you a funny story and everything. Um, so I could, I could definitely see that there would be some little tidbits out there because he's got some personality. Oh, by the way, I just read this too. His front four teeth are implants. That's going to be me. <laughs> Why is it going to be you? I got issues. Are you serious? Why? Um, a combination of things, but I'm, I, I'm a grinder. No kidding. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I got, my, one of my front ones is shorter than the other because I'm not that aggressive. Yeah. Well, thank good for veneers nowadays. Yeah, I swear. <laughs> right? Thank goodness for them. There's a couple of Titans players who have them. And then, of course, all the Predators have them. Oh, hockey, yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's a well, given. That's be me. Well, that, that was a fun episode. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Press Pass. You can always download it on Apple Podcasts. Go give us a rate and review. And please subscribe if you don't already. We truly appreciate all the listeners out there you can go follow joshua perry on social media platforms where can they find you my friend you can find me on twitter and instagram at rip underscore jep all right you can follow me at kayla anderson tv on twitter and instagram as well you guys have a great week stay warm in the parts of the country that are getting colder and uh if you're in the nice parts of the country we're just jealous take care guys